Ayers on the Road, Parenting in a Modern World. Here's Richard and Linda Iyer. And here we are. We have been on the road and in the air quite a bit this week. Since last week, oh, it's we... good to be back home, though, isn't it, Linda? It's so good to be back home. It is great to be home. Wow, uh, London was actually pretty warm, and we got a lot done. We saw a lot of stuff. We saw plays, <laughs> and we went to concerts, and we had so much fun without our kids. <laughs> <laughs> this is a this is a show today. The first part of the show to make you look forward to the time when you're empty nesters and all your kids are gone. <laughs> if you're not already there. <laughs> <laughs> we, um, you know, they say what they say about travel is the two best things about travel is taking off and coming home because, you know, you, you appreciate things when you're gone. And, and we, but we did have a great time in London. I think, uh, you know, for those of you that haven't been tuned in the last couple of weeks, we were in Switzerland for two weeks and then in London for a week. And we um, were doing some speaking on family and we were also working on a film a documentary film that's going to be made based loosely on our book, The Turning, Why the State of the Family Matters and What the World Can Do About It, a documentary film. And then when we did get back to London, we were we were pretty exhausted from all these meetings on the film. And so we had we had five little slots when we could do things. And I think we filled them up pretty well, honey. We went to a Cirque de Soleil show in Royal Albert Hall, we went to one serious drama, one comedy, one musical, and one concert. We did fill it in. We have to say that um, our daughter and son and baby, sweet little baby, their first, were there for one day, and then they left for the Maldives. They had been collecting miles and time away from work. This paternity leave in Europe is amazing. It's 12 weeks of paternity leave, full pay. And so they're at the very end of that, so they decided to take advantage of it and get out of town. So they left us with their apartment, and we hate to tell them how much fun we had without them. <laughs> yeah, without them. But they had fun without us, They had too. a lot of fun. Sometime we got to do a whole show on traveling and families. You know, some people who read our kids' blogs and so on, think that they think, my word, what's wrong with those Iyers? They're, they're just always traveling. And where do they get the money to travel all over the world in these exotic places? And frankly, the answer is it's not about money. It's about miles and uh, trying to And credit budget. cards and using, using them well and paying for them well. Yeah, and all that. it's really more about, you know, what do you sacrifice in order to travel? And for some reason, we've got a lot of kids who would rather travel than have a lot of nice things, or they make a lot of sacrifices to do it. And we have mixed feelings about how much some of them travel. I mean, the best part of it is, though, is the education of traveling to different places. And sometime, Linda, let's do a whole show on on the education you can give children by getting them out and showing them things that they're not used to, getting them out of their comfort zone geographically so they really feel like they're becoming citizens of the world and not parochial little kids who grow up in one place and never see anything else. Although you realize that um, uh, Henry David Thoreau said you can discover the whole world in your backyard. So there's there's a lot there's of ways to do it. There's other philosophies, that's true. And uh, also our daughter, who's now in, in the Maldives, um, which is down below Sri Lanka, below India, 
in the ocean. Um, this is their last big trip and they have been worried about it. They've been thinking, should we be giving all this money to, I mean, they're not using a lot of money. They're just using uh, points and uh, miles and all that. And so they said, should we be giving this away to these poor refugees who need the help so desperately? And they've given a lot. We're I mean, so glad they're asking that question. Yeah, you know? we are. I mean, that was a topic of a lot of conversation while we were with them is something as simple as our daughter Charity had seen a new lamp that she really, really wanted. It was an expensive lamp, but a really beautiful one. And she doesn't have a lot of nice things. And but they, they couldn't bring themselves to buy it because they they felt like, what if we bought a more ordinary lamp and gave the extra money to refugees? So it's delightful they're asking that. But then you say, well, and how do you afford to go to the Maldives? And they, they say they're going to stick around. But the fact is they live in London. They're so close to so many things. And so they said, we're so sticking cheap. around. We're not going anywhere until, uh, well, maybe in March we'll go to St. Petersburg. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they so, really are within an hour or two at the most of amazing places in Europe when they live in London. So, you know, there's just to each his own, but that has been a topic of conversation this week because of so much talk about the refugees. Now, for those of you who read the uh, website at BYU Radio, you may say, well, uh, gee, the topic today is supposed to be how to talk to your kids about sex. So what are we doing talking about travel and so on? And we're just doing our thing. We usually drift into the topic a little at a time. And uh, before we get there, I did want to say that uh, we've really enjoyed the last couple of weeks where we've been focusing on kids and, and technology, kids and electronics. And we find that parents, that's the first concern they have these days is screen time and social media and how do I control it and how do I monitor it and on and on and on. And I just wanted to mention that we're wrapping up this little focus we've had on that with our uh, piece in the Deseret News, our article in the Deseret News today, for those of you who read it online. It's actually not today. It's this coming week. I think it'll be up on Tuesday. And it's kind of a summary of what we and those experts we've been interviewing and talking about have come up with regarding how do, how do parents monitor and control technology? And maybe just the briefest review, I think the three things that it kind of comes down to are, number one, putting in control every electronic monitor and control device that you can get. And the best ones these days are routers that actually shut off the Wi-Fi at certain times and can be programmed so kids can only have Wi-Fi during the time that you want them to do their, their homework. Unless they go to the neighbor's house, you know, yeah, there's but, always caveats. Sure. But that, that getting those best controls and then doing the obvious things like trying to keep computers in public areas and not having kids with their smartphones in the middle of the night when they can text and basic things like that is number one. Number two, we feel is, is just the idea of really having a conversation, ongoing conversation with kids. What is the benefit and blessing of, of electronics and technology and social media? And what are the dangers? Getting them involved, being critics, thinking about it, what's good and what's bad, and letting them come up or at least contribute to the policies you set in your family. It's interesting, Linda, how sometimes kids are stricter with themselves than, than parents would be when you give them a chance. Well, what do you think? How much time should you be online? Yeah, they'll, I think it's, be... it's just so important to set boundaries 
with your kids instead of for your kids. Have them involved. And once they're on board, it makes it so much easier because they have to govern themselves, so to speak. Yeah, and that really ties into the third main thing, which is think of this whole question of screen time and and social media and electronics and so on as another opportunity for you as a parent to teach your children the, the incredibly valuable and powerful skill of discernment. That's what we try to teach kids all the time when you think about it. We try to teach them to be able to discern between a good touch and a bad touch in terms of physical things. We try to teach them to be discerning in terms of, is this friend um, really a good friend who, who, who is loyal to me or, or, or not? I mean, we try to teach all kinds of discernment. And if there is one place where we really ought to focus on it, it's on websites and, and on apps and online and, and asking kids the question, how does this particular website or game or whatever it is, how does it make you feel? And, and you know, kids can actually, they're very sensitive to, to sort of light and dark and, and sort of this feels good, this feels right, or this, this doesn't feel right, this feels, you know, bad in, in some way. And, and commenting on that, talking about it, because after all, and you know, they're not going to be under our watchful care for very long. In fact, frankly, they're really not under our total control and care now because of what you mentioned. They've got friends, they've got kids around them that have uh, smartphones, and they can pretty much get whatever they want. So the discernment and the self-governing is the ultimate goal. It really is. But um we need to go on here because we soon are coming up on a break and we need to get to our topic, um, which is uh, something we've done before. We have to say we know we've done this in a year or two a, ago. A year, time a flies, more. I can't remember. But we've had ago. so many questions about it. We always get so many questions about it. And it is a, an issue, how to talk to your child about sex, which is the exact name of the book, which we wrote many, many years ago. And... Um, it really has been a bestseller since then because really parents are left clueless as to what to do and when they talk to their children about sex. And, you know, maybe making a segue from that little review of the technology piece, um, it's kind of an easy segue because where, where, where would be the place you would not like your kids to learn about sex? Well, online, on social media. Um, from the movies, from the movies, from their peer group, from magazines, uh, you know, you'd want them to or even from their school, although their many schools are well-meaning. But uh, I don't think there are many parents in the world who if they had a choice, what would you like the source of your children's information, primary information about intimacy and about sex and about their physical bodies, where would you like it to come from? The prime, what would you like to be their prime, primary source? I don't know of any parent who wouldn't say, well, I'd like that source to be me. So it's ironic that even though we know that, so few parents really make the effort to do a thorough job of talking to their kids about sex early enough that they're preempted, that their kids learn it from them before they start learning it from all these other sources. Right. And we developed a little plan. It's actually a dialogue that we'll go into and not in detail, but uh, in the next segment. But we hardly ever speak at uh, an event with young parents without somebody coming up to me afterwards and said, 
you know, I, I we have we have your book on how to, or we have your information on how to talk to your child about sex. We've tried it and it really works. Thank you. And I don't know that it's 100 percent sure that it works in every case, but we'll have some interesting things to share. Yeah. And just before we go to break it and just reflect on this maybe for a minute, uh, parents in general among the audiences we speak to and the people we know and the people who go to our website, they're much better at talking to their kids about drugs or about violence or about crime or about shoplifting or about bullying. They're, they're pretty good at tackling a lot of the tough subjects. They're not very good at talking to the kids about sex. Why is that? Why is that? It's because it's embarrassing. It's because they don't know how to do it. It's because they don't know how their kid will react. Well, and because usually they haven't been taught by their parents. They right. don't have anything right. to go on. So um, so we hope that you'll hang with us and join us in just a few minutes for a little more in-depth talk about how to talk to your child about sex. Right back after this break. Ayers on the Road, Parenting in a Modern World. Here's Richard and Linda Iyer. And we're back. And uh, we're, we're going to jump right in now to this really sort of fearful but powerfully important subject, how to talk to your kids about sex. And Linda, I think the first question parents want to ask and that they're sometimes fearful of asking is, when? When do I do it? What age? When do I have to face up to the fact that if I'm going to be the pre- the primary source, I've got to go on it now before they start getting bad information from other sources. You know, in talking about this to parents really across the world, I think it depends on where you live. But we have found the ideal age for us has been eight, the age eight. Sometimes earlier, I mean, sometimes parents say, oh, that's way too early. I couldn't, they don't get it. They wouldn't get it. There's no way. And others say, oh, that's way too late. They are so bombarded with stuff all the time. I, we got to do that at six. So um, it Not depends too on many. you. I haven't heard too many say six. Well, I've heard, heard a few. But anyway, it depends on your situation and where you live. And then there are the parents that say, oh, shoot, my <laughs> child is 14. And I have never broached this subject with my kids. Is it too late? And we always say it's never too late, but it's better if you start early. So, so the question then, you know, I mean, an eight-year-old, why, why would we say that? Well, we have a, actually a church reason because in our particular faith, we actually call age eight the age of accountability. It's an interesting phrase because that is sort of the age when kids are developing the ability to make their own choices and to have a little conscience if they do the wrong thing and so on. And, and, and it's also sort of the last chance in in the sense that kids, and again, we're speaking in generalities, essentially before that, most kids have heard a lot of sexual words. They've, they've been exposed maybe to, to a couple of things that they don't understand fully, but they're really not usually uh, that into it. I mean, we, we tell the old joke about the, the little six-year-old who comes to his mom and says, mom, where did I come from? And Mom panics, right, Linda? Right, <laughs> totally. And she says, um, oh, 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 my gosh. And he's, she sits down and spills all the beans and tries to bumble through it. And then at the end, the little six-year-old looks kind of confused and says, no, 
I mean, we just moved. So where did we come from? Where was it we used to live? <laughs> where was that? Um, so you know, you have to you have to do what works. For but you. my my point is, but usually kids, uh, you know, even if they ask a question and they're six or five or whatever, you can answer it pretty minimally, and they're usually satisfied with a very general answer. But about the time they get to be eight years old, that's when. Their friends and others uh, can become negative sources about intimacy and sex, and they start being aware enough of things on the internet to try to find their own answers, which are usually not the answers we'd want them to hear. So that's roughly the answer to the question when, and then the big question, of course, is how. How do I do it? And uh, let's just kind of quickly tell the story of this book. We, we had so many parents saying to us, you know, we go out to the marketplace, we go out to try to buy a book or a guide to help us talk to our kids about sex. And all we all we find are these these sort of psychological behavioral science books with a lot of details we don't really want to know and, and no real practical help. And after hearing that for a few years, we finally buckled down and, and talked to the people who we thought knew the most and tried to come up with a book that really reads more like a dialogue or a play or a, a you know a, a screenplay than than it does like a book because it's basically you know parent says this child will probably say this parent then says this child may say this or this in which case parents say this or this so it's almost like a flow chart that a parent can follow, and frankly, Linda, a lot of a lot of parents that we've heard back from use it as a script. They hold the book under the table and basically just read it. Yeah, well, our old, one of our older daughters, who actually was the first one to go out and talk to her child when he turned eight, said, "Man, I just I just printed out those pages and put on my lap, and I kind of read it as I was talking to him, and I'll be darned, he said exactly what you said he would say, and it was absolutely awesome, and I got more comfortable as I went along, and it worked great. Well, we so, put a lot of research into that, and parents, it, all it does is it emboldens parents. It gives them confidence. If they if they have a, a script, then the fear goes out of it, don't you think? The, 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 the white knuckles, the, the red in the face goes away. Well, it does. And I must admit being extremely worried about it on our very first child. I'll never you forget it. You can remember it. that far back? Oh, man, I'll never forget goodness. it. It was so crazy. I was so nervous. We got ready to go. and Before we, we were going to do dialogue. Actually, what, what, <laughs> the way we did it, somebody told us to try this, and it's always worked for us. We said, okay. On your eighth birthday, and we did it on a birthday always because that gave us a deadline to make it happen. Otherwise, it just doesn't happen. On your birthday, we're going to take you out, and we are going to talk about the most incredible thing you've ever heard. Just you. Just you just with you your mom and dad. And just the three us. of us. And it's going to be absolutely amazing. You won't believe it. It's just, it's a marvelous thing. It has to do with you, but we're not going to tell you what it is. So then we kept building, building up, building excitement. And then the day comes, and... We get to the door, and and Saren's still in the other room, and I say, honey, you're so good at talking. You just take her and do it, and just <laughs> tell me what happened. I'm not about to on. do it. You, you go ahead and do it. And which, which, by the way, brings <laughs> up another thing. Should this be a talk between one parent and a child? If you're, if you're a single-parent family, obviously, yes. But even then, you may want to bring in reinforcements like a grand a grandparent. But if you're a two-parent family, this is the one discussion you must do it together. 
because just the fact that you're telling it together is a message in itself. Yeah. And, and it is hard. You bring up the possibility of about half of the world now seems to have single parents instead of two parents. And it's difficult. And especially if this hasn't been the most wonderful part of your life. And uh, we, we keep saying it's just going to be wonderful, awesome. And so on. And we talk to him about it and you have to, figure out what works for you to say it but the point is you have a dialogue and also honey you're making it sound like the whole book is this dialogue it isn't we start out with how to talk to little kids uh, before they're eight and then how to talk to older kids that you haven't talked to before in fact when we were writing this we had a bunch of teenagers and we kept bringing it up at dinner like what do you think what do you think about these <laughs> questions what, what do you think what would be the response and finally there's like oh my gosh do we have to talk about sex again i mean <laughs> it was got kind of ridiculous but i think we ended up with a lot of a lot of kids with a good healthy outlook on sex and um well and we did a lot of research from people who knew a lot more than we did of course. and, and I, I think linda the thing a really relevant question we should bring up before going any further is what are your goals and having this talk with an eight-year-old or with a young child, and we will get to how to handle this with older kids in a minute, but what are, what are your goals? And it's important to realize there really are at least two powerful, important goals. One is to help a child avoid early experimental sexual experience that, that can be very harmful emotionally as well as physical. So clearly there's the the protective goal of, of uh, in this discussion. But there, don't forget there's a second goal, and that is that you want this child at the right time with the right person when they are married, when they have made commitments, you want them to have a beautiful, wonderful, physical sex life. And so the, the, the reason that you need to think of those two goals together is the last thing you want to do as a parent is is bring fear into it and make it such a negative talk that it affects a child's ability for the rest of his life to really enjoy uh, the wonders of human intimacy with the right person at the right time. So you need a, so the whole dialogue is written with the idea, this is beautiful, this is wonderful, this is something that uh, even though you don't fully understand now, you will find that it's the most wonderful part of life in many ways. But, and, and by the way, the two go together because research shows that the, the biggest deterrent to, to young children and, and early teenagers uh, in, in doing the kind of sexual experimenting that parents would not like to see them doing, the biggest deterrent to that is that they have a vision of how wonderful and special it can be if it's with the right person at the right time. And it turns out that that positive view of the future is a bigger deterrent to early experimentation than any kind of fear or, you, you know, it could be bad. You could get a sexually transmitted disease. You, you, you know, this, it, all the fear stuff turns out not to work very well. Well, the vision of something better works extremely well. Well, and then again, as we mentioned in the first um, half of the show, we, we realize it gives the kids a palette to work with because they realize what's good and what isn't. And, they can determine for themselves how they feel like in a movie. If this is going farther than I want to be, then they could leave or they can cover their eyes or do whatever that they need to feel comfortable with. But it does give them a filter with, with which they can look through and decide what's right and what's wrong. 
Um, but I do have to say, in hindsight, now that our kids have all grown um, up and have left home um, and are having children of their own. By the way, some of them want us to have the talk with our grandkids, with their kids. And we're like, no, no way. way. We wrote the dialogue. You go have the talk. Um, but <laughs> anyway, it really has been fun to see their reaction. And every one of them remembers exactly what they wore, exactly what they ate, exactly what they thought. In fact, one of our sons said he thought it was going to be some wild exotic flower that we were going to be talking about. <laughs> Where did that come and from? Uh, I don't know. It's just interesting how they digest what you tell them. But then that same son, actually, when he was, um, well, married, he was married and they were going to school down at BYU, called one night and said, Mom, we want to uh, take you and dad out to dinner. And we said, oh, no. That was a breakthrough. Come them home. Taking yeah. us to dinner. Come home. We'll, we'll feed you. You're little starving students. No, no, we really want to take you out to dinner. So they met us um, down at a, a restaurant. And he chose what it was. And we went in. And he looked around and looked around and found. He, he said, could we have that table right there? And, and so we, we said, sure. I mean, they seated us there. And... Um, he said, do you remember, we had our hamburgers, and then he said, do you remember what happened in this booth many years ago? And for a minute, we lost track of it, and went, oh, yeah, that's, this is the very place where we had the talk with this son, and uh, his wife is scrambling around in, a, in her purse and comes up with a pregnancy stick that says positive, and they both say, it worked. It was really <laughs> a payday. It was a payday. Special day. It was great. But I'm and that really I'm glad you told that story, Linda, because that the bottom line here is this, you know, as a parent, and we're gonna tell you where to look at this dialogue, so we're not getting into deep detail here on the radio for obvious reasons, but but the real the real mm -hmm. blessing uh, the, the real attitude to have here is this is not some, oh, dreaded task. We've got to do it. We've just got to do it. This should be a, a source of real joy for both you and your kids. This should be a time when you're able to talk about committed marital intimacy and make it sound so wonderful that your children will be guided by that vision throughout their growing up years and, and even into the time when they... Uh, begin to look for who they're going to marry. So I think that's the key to have that attitude. And you, you don't need to go buy the book. If you have it, great. But if you don't, uh, just go to valuesparenting.com and click on how to talk to your child about sex. Go through the menu at the top of the page and you'll find that click. And uh, get into that dialogue and, and use it, modify it if you want. But be bold. Have this talk. And and then, like you pointed out, Linda, it's not just one big talk. It's a series of talks, but it centers on one big one. And there are modifications there if your kids are older and you've never really had the talk. There's a way to sort of play catch-up football and, and go back and do it at a, an older age. And um, I think it's still available on Amazon, but it might even be on Irish Free Books. I don't know. You can check no, that. No, it's not yet. Not yet, because it's still in, in print. But anyway, we, we just wish you the very best. This is an important thing that will make a big difference to your kids and their lives. And so thanks for listening. Good luck. And we'll see you again next time on Hires on the Road. 